When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, looks like we're we'll talking to Rita and Bill and Roland to start off. Good morning, Rita. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. How you doing? I'm doing very well. Good. At least uh, as well as anybody can be when they've gotten up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and it's still currently not even 6 o'clock, as you know I love to say, at least we only have to sound awake, we don't have to look awake. That's right, because <laughs> we're, we're uh, all behind walls right now. Yeah, as long as the brain is functioning, everything is good. One question. Okay. Just one. Um, is there a time limit to um, take cuttings for perennials in the fall? Is there? I mean, I know you got to have leaves and everything on it. Do we? Do we go by the weather? Do we go by the plants? We go partly by the plant, and we go. Uh, largely by the kind of equipment we have, so to speak. In other words, do we have a propagating mat? Do we have a mist system? How fancy a setup do we have? Then we are, you know, really ready to take these cuttings. In most cases, no, there is not really a time limit. Your, your wood, the, the, Part of the plant you're cutting has to be in the proper condition, that meaning that it should not be new, real soft, succulent wood. And, of course, if you're propagating a perennial like a lantana, you have to do it before it freezes back. That would be true of lantana. That would be true of many different, uh, you know, salvias, just a lot of different perennials that freeze back. We obviously have to get the cutting made before another Mother Nature decides uh, it's going to freeze back on us. But woody perennials, and when we're talking everything from rosemary to salvia gregii to salvia leucantha, these kinds of things, no, there really isn't a time limit. I would want to have it done by at least the 1st of February because I want to have some time to get some roots on it over the winter months. But, uh, no, we are, and, and of course, it's going to work a lot better if you have a propagating mat to put them on or at the very minimum a cold frame. Best of all, if you have a greenhouse where you can keep them warm, where you can mist them periodically, where you can <laughs> have them on that propagating mat and know that uh, I'm just thinking to myself, it's so much easier to walk through the greenhouse with a water hose with water going everywhere than it is to try to do the same thing in the kitchen. So, you know, your time frame really depends on really how you are set up to handle those cuttings but uh there is no there is no real particular start date or stop date as to when you can propagate perennials and woody plants in the fall long answer to a short question but that's the reason behind it well i didn't know if uh the the plants we call them starches go Uh down at when it starts getting really cold in in your um, percentage for propagation is goes down less. I, I wasn't real sure. You know, like kind of like a maple tree or, or right. No, and that's one reason we don't usually propagate maple trees from cuttings and things like that. But uh, yeah. that plant basically needs to keep its starch level up to maintain its antifreeze because the main thing that makes plants 
or plant stems, whatever, resistant to freeze damage in the case of perennials, is maintaining a certain sugar content in the sap because anybody that's ever known or ever tried, as I did as a kid one time, to make extra sweet popsicles, put some extra sugar in there, and lo and behold, they wouldn't freeze. <laughs> well, it didn't work out too well for the popsicles that afternoon, but it taught me a lesson about uh, the importance of sugar and relating that to plants. That's that's why newly sprouted seedlings take a little while to harden off. They haven't had the sunlight and the time to create those carbohydrates, so sugar. So, uh, oh, once again, that's a little bit more of an explanation. But uh, your plants can't afford to... Uh, you know, do away with all of those uh, those protective compounds and things are going to both help them get through the winter and help them sprout out next spring. So um, I am not aware of any. I was responsible for propagating, you know, something over a million, you know, shrub cuttings uh, in a time I worked briefly for a big uh, growing operation in Dallas. And no, we didn't look at any, you know, any particular thing. We said, hey, you just can't cut this in in the fall. But uh, we sure had lots and lots and lots and lots of trays of cuttings and coal frames. And no, we didn't really pay any attention to the calendar. And really not any attention to the weather as far as when we took our cuttings. Now, uh, again, um have to keep uh keep the bottom at least warm protect them from freezing but uh as far as the time frame we really were not really influenced by the calendar or the weather okay sounds good bob then i'm i'm safe <laughs> we'll get out in the greenhouse and have some fun then oh yeah i've got it you know i've got a setup out there i don't um of course i don't have a misting system but i got other ways to keep them controlled and th- so they don't dry out so, sure. I mean, well if you're like me i have multiple even though my greenhouse isn't huge at home i have several hoses and i have one hose that i just leave a mist nozzle on the end so i'm not forever popping one nozzle off and the other one back on and i can go in and turn the handle and i've got instant mist it's not on a timer or anything but it gives me the opportunity to mist in the morning before i go to work and in the evening when i come home and uh, things root pretty well i know i mean we all kind of find our own little ways that's exactly right rita well if i don't talk to you before then i wish you the best of the holiday season and uh remind me when we do run into each other again at the shades of green or at dr kirby's uh since i know you're into orchids uh remind me to show you uh, some pictures of some of the little miniature cattleyas i've started growing because i think you'd be very interested in them in fact, well, speaking of orchids, I got one out there that's blooming right now, finally. You know, you feed them, you water them all summer, nothing happens. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, I, I can share with you, too. So, cool. I'll look right. forward to seeing you. Have a great Christmas. Thank you so much. You do. Bye. Bye. All right. Uh, next up is Bill. Good morning, Bill. Hi, Bob. Hi there. Doing well, sir. How about for, you? I'm doing great. Good. I'm looking for uh, plastic from one puts under rocks, you know, you, like you have a border with rocks in it. Okay. Uh, I, y'all know you mentioned it one time. What's it called? Well, I don't like it. Um, I, You <laughs> know, you, you, you destroy the soil underneath those rocks, and this idea that you're going to stop weeds is a myth because you might not get any weeds the first six months, but after that you've got enough dust blows in that every weed seed that lands in there is going to germinate and grow. I, I laugh. There's a house in a subdivision up the way from 
where I live in the country that they put in plastic grass to, you know, avoid the weeds. You drive by there, they've got weeds that are two and three feet tall because once that stuff blows in, the weeds are going to sprout and grow, and the stuff you put underneath the rocks just totally destroys, um, you know, the soil underneath it. If you've ever put down plastic or weed block fabric is what uh, a lot of the box stores sell. And, you know, I use it sometimes. If I just want to kill everything out there when I'm expanding my vegetable garden or something, I'll put down some of that stuff in a row and uh, give it six months. It kills the weeds. It destroys the soil. But I can I can revive it. So I'm not going to recommend that you put anything underneath those rocks because long term it's going to cause problems. Now I guess if you don't plan to have any shrubs or trees or anything else in the area, you may not mind what it does to the soil. And in that case, um, what you want is just a good six mil uh construction grade fabric like they put down when they're pouring a concrete foundation and you will find that at a good lumber yard that doesn't mean a box store but uh you know a a real honest to goodness lumber yard will carry that kind of material or you can use some of the weed block fabrics now what i would tend to do if it were me i'd put down a couple layer car layers of cardboard or newspaper underneath it that's going to stick around long enough to kill the weeds underneath it but then it's going to gradually break down and go away and you don't get the negatives that you get with the plastic or the weed block fabric okay then after a while though doesn't the uh, the weeds grow up through the cardboard well, it, you know, again, how's the weed going to get there? It's gonna If it's going to get there, it's probably going to be a seed that blew in, and there's not really any difference whether you have plastic or something else down or not because, like I say, you're going to have, uh, I mean, just look at how much dust collects everywhere inside your house. Think how much dust collects constantly, and after about two years, that nice rock area that you've created is going to have plenty of soil in the form of dust and other things that are blown have blown in that every weed seed that comes along is going to sprout and grow and that's not really any difference whether you have something under the rock or not now nice thing about having you know rock on the surface if that's the look you like is you can always go through there with a little bit of your vinegar and orange oil mix do that a couple of times a year just a quick spray and you will totally kill out anything green and sprouting but uh, if you do put down several layers of newspaper, two, three layers of cardboard, that's going to be enough to smother and kill any weeds that are in there now. So all you're going to have to worry about is material that blows in, and that's going to happen whether you have a weed block fabric or not. Got it. Thank you. Uh, and people just, just they try to make it too easy, and the people selling you the Visqueen, the black plastic, or the weed block, they want to make it sound so easy that you rush out and do it, but they don't tell you the long-term story. So that's that's just what I want to alert you to. I appreciate that. Thank you. What's the ideal depth for an above-ground garden here in Bernie? Well, it depends on what you're growing. Um, you can grow, gosh, uh, you know, lots of peppers and squash and things like that with uh, six or eight inches. If you're going to grow a deep-rooted plant, if you're going to grow uh, indeterminate tomatoes, if you're going to grow okra, if you're going to grow, say, carrots, then I would be looking at 12 to 18 inches. Uh, just, you know, the more the better. Ideally, 18 inches, minimum of 12 inches, absolute minimum of six inches. 
All right, Bob. Thank you very much. It's always a pleasure, Bill. Have a great weekend, and uh, let's keep going here and talk to Roland. Good morning, Roland. Good morning. Morning, sir. Hey, I've been collecting some rainwater in a fixed five-gallon drum. Good. And and it's, the, the water's got a lot of rust in it, you know, from the... Mm-hmm. From the uh, does that hurt anything when I water my plants? Not at all. Not at all. doesn't really help a lot. A lot of people see all that rust and think, oh, my plants are getting lots of extra iron. Uh, they may be getting a little extra iron, but that iron oxide, that rust, is uh, not really beneficial, but it is certainly uh, not harmful to anything out there. Now, if I were planning to drink my rainwater, I'd be looking at you know different filters and things like that. But to use on your plants, right. no, it's, uh, it's the best water in the world for gardening. Okay. All right. Well, that's the only thing I needed. Um, I was just thinking one other thing. Sure. You know, I've got some uh, geraniums that are hanging outside, and they, you know, they look real good. You know, I had them in a greenhouse during the freeze. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just wondering, uh, do you sell geraniums this time of year, or is that only in the spring? When we can get geraniums, we sell them at this time of year. They, uh, I think they are an ideal fall plant. They'll actually go down to the upper 20s without any damage. I know we have a bunch of variegated geraniums, but uh, to tell you how foolish the local growers are in not growing them, we go all the way to Denver to get them. We've got a wonderful grower up in the Denver, Colorado area, and typically we have a wide range of geraniums in the fall. Big problem, that Denver grower was forced, in effect, by the city to move their 3 million square feet of greenhouses to a different location, and with all that going on, they didn't grow the geraniums this fall that they usually do. So our geranium supply right now is pretty much limited, uh, uh, but most years we have a lot of geraniums. Now, some of our growers locally are getting ready for spring, and uh, there's going to be abundant crop of them ready by about the 1st of February, but uh, I I wouldn't buy anything that came out of a warm greenhouse this time of year because it'd go through, you know, be so much, so much more susceptible to cold damage. Our typical fall geraniums that come out of Denver, obviously they're not growing them outside because it's already been five degrees up there, but they are grown in cool greenhouses. They are very well hardened off, and they make the transition beautifully to this area. So I'm like you. I love geraniums. I think they're... They're plants that'll last for two to three years with a little bit of good care, and if you can protect them from a hard freeze, fall is a wonderful time to plant them. And let me tell you, there's some incredible new varieties, but this is just a year that's going to be a little bit tougher to find. I am assured that by next year that we'll be back to our usual fall supplies. Okay. Well, thanks a lot. You have a wonderful day. Well, I appreciate it so much. You have a great weekend, and I look forward to our next visit, Roland. Thank you, sir. Okay. Oh, gosh, we've only got a few seconds, uh, about a minute here before news time, so don't want to rush James or Roy. Uh, if you want to grab a line, you know the number, 210-599-5555. Lots of fun stuff going on, and, um, oh, gosh, you know, I, I know a lot of people do things for the holidays. Uh, we at Shades of Green, we serve homemade cookies and hot mulled cider Every day between now and Christmas, if you're out riding around and uh, want, want a little touch of something very warming and maybe something to satisfy your sweet tooth, uh, all of our employees make their favorite cookie recipes, and we love sharing them with friends. So just just stick your head in and say hello. Um, you're going to find that onions are in now at most all the major nurseries. Now, 
most nurseries are not going to be getting their asparagus roots for another couple of weeks. So that's one thing that you are a little bit early on. Leeks, you're way too early on. Leeks start showing up. And we plant them from little little plants, just like we do onions. But uh, don't look for those until around the 1st of January. But uh, the onions were a little late coming in this year because they had so much wet weather they couldn't get in the field and dig the plants. But if you've been putting off planting onions, don't do it any longer. Mine went in about 10 days ago, and I'd sure get yours in. Uh, and, of course, a wide range of uh, different vegetables you can put in the garden and a super wide range of flowers for both the shade and sun out there. So many things to talk about. <laughs> Give me a call if you've got a question. You know the number, and we'll talk to James and Roy right after news here on KTSA Radio. Good morning, James. Morning, Bob. How you doing? Oh, it's just it's an absolutely gorgeous morning. Uh, some people may be a little surprised by how chilly it is, but I'll make, bet it makes that iron stove feel pretty good in your kitchen. Yeah, I just threw a couple of logs in the fire. <laughs> I'm uh, thinking about a hot beverage here. Uh, doing all right, yeah. Very good. Hey, uh, I've got a couple of questions for you. Uh, you know, after I sweep out the uh, alfalfa trailer, I get about a 45-gallon tree pot full of alfalfa and dust. <laughs> and I run it through a half-inch screen. Uh-huh. And uh, all the sticks and stems go over the fence to the little animals. They seem to enjoy it. Absolutely. And, uh, I'm getting a really good-looking green dust uh, that uh, that I'm working into the alfalfa, uh, the alfalfa, uh-huh. I'm working it into the uh, asparagus beds uh-huh. on yeah. each side of the crowns. With uh, I think it's a three-time, you know, cultivator that you, you know, kind of like a hoe. Right. Yes, sir. There's just no limit to how much I can use, or not with the alfalfa. It's uh. You know, totally natural nitrogen. I don't think there'd be a chance in the world of burning, but, uh, you know, the, the, how much the, the question is going to be how much alfalfa dust can you collect? And do you want to use it on those asparagus only? Because it is such a good soil builder. It's actually a bit of a fertilizer, you know, legumes just. Uh, it's, it's just a whole different world when it comes to the amount of, or all the benefits of the organic material you get out of that. But no, whether you work it into the ground, whether you use it as a mulch, whether you combine it with manures to make your own, uh, green fertilizer, so to speak, uh, I can't imagine, uh, well, I can't imagine ever having enough of it to worry about, but I don't believe you're going to cause any problem using, uh, alfalfa dust. And I'm, I've been wondering about the weed potential of that. Uh, uh, of alfalfa? Be all right, but, yeah. No, but the I... annuals be okay, but, but perennials is what I'm kind of worried about. I was wondering what you thought about that. No, I don't think you have much of any problem with uh, with alfalfa. It you know takes quite a lot of moisture to grow it. But uh, alfalfa doesn't, especially like our soils around here. I I don't think I've ever heard of anyone having an alfalfa problem in central Texas. So I would not be the least bit concerned about that. Oh, okay. Well, we'll just keep up the good uh, the good sweeping and uh, and use it as a fertilizer. Yeah, I go I go volunteer to sweep out the barn of wherever you're. <laughs> getting your alfalfa because uh no it's it's just green gold and they believe me uh uh they charge plenty for it 
Uh, but, you know, it's just there's no better feed or bedding for rabbits and lots of other furry creatures out there or feathered creatures as well. So, uh, by all means, keep putting it to good use. Oh, okay. Uh, and the other question was, uh, they want me to grow some dill or something that's going on here. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, can I grow those that dill in uh, the 200 cell trays and then pop them in the 4-inch when they get the right size? Or Absolutely. Yeah, you can do that, or you can... Uh, if you're going to put it in beds, you can leave them in those cell trays a little longer, let them grow up just a little bit bigger, and put those plugs directly into the ground. Dill is a is a tender plant as far as handling it carefully, but as far as a vigorous plant with very few problems, uh, other than you know the the larval state of the black swallowtails and many other of the cat of the butterflies that we love, think dill is just uh, the best food in the world. So. Uh, no, you should grow absolutely beautiful dill, and yeah, I'd start it in those little plug trays, and if you want to go to 4-inch to have a plant that you can actually sell to all these folks who want to have an herb garden, by all means do so, but I imagine you'd find, with all your contacts, you'd find a pretty good market for just fresh-cut dill if you wanted to grow some of that. Oh, yeah, if I if I listen to those uh those nice ladies, I'd be growing just about everything there. <laughs> you know? I just tell them I'm totally tomatoes, sweetheart, and that's well, <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's uh, it's just fun growing variety, and that's that's one of the reasons I got away from my big propagating job. I mean, it sounded great to propagate two and a quarter million uh, little plants every year, but. When I realized I was only doing about 12 different species of plants, then all of a sudden it got downright boring. So, uh, no, I think I think the variety is sort of the spice of life, and uh, uh, those tomatoes may always be the uh, may always be the cash crop. But the more different things you can grow, and you can certainly grow dill the time of year when you're not even thinking about tomatoes. So, yeah, whatever whatever your customer wants to buy, and you can grow easily, I'd go for it. I. I don't know who's dumb or me or me, <clears throat> but I, st- I, the guys down at the restaurant go, hey, when's the cilantro going to be ready? And I go, oh, wait a minute. And I covered everything up with cover crop. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> you know, who, who's in charge over here? I don't know. Well, that's another one of those things. At least cilantro goes quickly and, uh, uh, you can get some planted and you'll, you'll have a harvestable crop before long, but it's, I uh, I don't know. You know, the days just seem to get shorter and the hours just go by to way too quickly to get everything done that we could do and would like to do. And that's why I try to make those lists. Cause I'm just as forgetful as you are periodically and, uh, need to just have that calendar you keep around that reminds you of what to do uh, at an approximate time every year. And that way you're not taken by surprise with something you were supposed to do and uh, you just got too busy to remember it. You're talking about calendars. We've got a little bank here in this town. that, that Little town of Marion? Yeah, they, they have a calendar with uh, the moon signs and all kinds of happy agricultural advice on it. Every time somebody, one of the businesses, wants to give me a calendar, the first thing I look for is moon signs. Uh-huh. None of the calendars that I've seen that they want to give me have the moon signs in them. I think they're, that that's going away. Um, you know, the 
the who's ever making those calendars you're not putting the moon signs on it you know and i that's haven't really important for an agricultural kind yeah and i haven't gotten mine yet but i found the old farmer's almanac makes uh puts out a calendar a desk calendar and a regular calendar and uh they've always been pretty good about having the moon signs on there so uh if you don't find a gimme you can probably find a pretty inexpensive one from old farmer's almanac around pretty somewhere pretty easily well that's probably pretty good advice um i sure appreciate this little bank we've got here they've oh, been yeah. keeping up with us for a long time <laughs> i don't know why anybody does business with the big guys uh we uh we have a very personal relationship with Jefferson Bank here in San Antonio, and hey, it's just fun when you walk in the bank. Everybody knows you, and they're bending over backwards to help you instead of just uh, trying to rush out of there as quickly as they can to get to the next person in line. So you enjoy them, and let them know how much you appreciate them. Uh, so important to tell people that uh, you're very thankful for, James, and I know you know that. So you go have a good day, and we will talk again, sir. Thanks, Bob. Thank you. Bye. Well- Bye. Okay, Roy's turn now. Good morning, Roy. Good morning, Bob. How are you this morning? Uh, it's just a beautiful morning out there, and uh, yeah. I'm sitting here in a nice warm studio, and it's chilly outside, and I get to go outside about the time it warms up, so, you know, life's pretty good. Yeah, I sure 39 on my thermometer Yes, sir. About what I had yeah. coming in. Uh, Bob, I've got a problem with worms on my cabbage. I've sprayed them with the VT before, but... The spray seems to roll off those leaves, that and and, uh, the broccoli as well. Can I put a little soap or something in there to make that stick better? Well, always put a little molasses in there is what I use. And uh, put a little soap in there, too. But I have my experience because, of course, BT is a bacterial spray, Bacillus thuringiensis. And molasses is one of the strongest bacterial stimulants. And uh, I feel like adding eh, somewhere around a teaspoon of molasses per gallon of spray, I feel like it not only helps the BT to stick, but it makes it about 20 times more effective. So that's what I do. Okay, but a little soap in there, just a little squirt of dish soap will help hold it on the leaves a little better? That will work just fine. And if you ever feel like, you know, with all these blasted, genetically modified crops out there we are getting some strains of bt that are resistant i mean some strains of uh, caterpillars that are resistant to the bt if you run into any of that uh get a little and you get it in a hand spray or you can get it in the concentrate what they call spinosad soap uh unlike the bt the spinosad does not have a long you know, residual effect on the leaves, but it is a very effective contact killer, and you're getting it already mixed with a good soap. And let me tell you, that's that's kind of gotten to be my go-to if I see some damage and I'm not sure if it's caterpillars or, you know, whether I've got some aphids on there or even mealybugs. I just grab my little hand sprayer of that and give them a shot of that. So uh, I think in general, I, I love the BT on specific crops i don't use it out you know widespread because of course it's hard on some of the butterflies we want to protect on their larvae but in the garden uh your bt add a little molasses to it you'll make it a lot more long lasting and a lot more effective immediately yeah sounds good also bob i spread some of that fertilizer like the morales cells the uh i'll forget the name all my oats right Right before it was supposed to rain one time, it didn't, of course. <laughs> Will that stuff be fine just laying there until it does rain? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It doesn't oxidize and go away, and uh, it uh, that's a nice thing. You do that with those synthetic products, you would have burned the heck out of your 
you know, oats and new things coming up. But uh, that that good, and I'm trying to remember the name too that Morales sells. It's a good poultry litter based fertilizer. But uh, no, it's it's not going to burn and it's not going to dissipate like anhydrous ammonia or all that other stuff would. It's just going to sit there and be ready for that next good rain, which is going to come next Tuesday, according to the weatherman. And I'm ready for it. I'm not going to, you know, bet that it's going to happen. But uh, I think all this part of Texas needs a good rain, and maybe we get it this next week. We certainly do. I hope they're right. Okay, that's all I've got, Bob. Thanks a bunch. You have a Merry Christmas and good holidays. You do the same, Roy. Always good to talk to you, sir. All right, back to gardening. Next up is Benny, and then it will be Vic, and right after that it will be you. Good morning, Benny. Good morning, Bob. I'm glad find we're going to get some rain here pretty soon. I hope you're right. I'm My cows and I are sure ready for it. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, Onion sets, uh, got 400 in the ground. What do I fertilize them with? You know, I use just the same basic organic fertilizer. I actually like working mine in. Now, I trust you planted plants rather than sets. You planted little green plants, didn't you? I sure did. In fact, yeah. I bought them from you. Well, very good. No, sets, technically, sets are totally different. Sets are a little, a lot of people use it interchangeably, but sets are different. They're a little small bulb that's been interrupted in growth, and uh, I've I've never had luck with the sets, but those green plants, yeah, mine are in and growing, and uh, I just start out with that same good granular organic fertilizer. I happen to use Medina's Growing Green, but Nature's Creation makes a, a great alfalfa-based one. The Maestro Grow makes a one they call Texas Tea. Uh, there are a number of real good ones out there, but I will put some of that in before I plant. I will usually sprinkle a little bit more of it on the surface afterwards. And okay. uh, I figure that carries me for about the first two months. After that, I uh, just every couple of weeks or as often as I can do it, and sometimes that's once a month, then I'll go back and hit them with has some has to grow or good liquid fertilizer. And I grow very good onions. In fact, uh, Dr. Kirby, along with my business partner and a few others, say my onions are the best thing that come out of my garden. So uh, um, that's what I do, and it's it's very, very successful. Okay. Well, I'll sure give it a try. You let me know how it works for you, and you have a great day out there. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Bye. All right, uh, you know how busy it gets later in the show and how difficult it is to get through. Don't be sitting there saying, I'm going to finish my coffee before I call. Go ahead and dial 210-599-5555, and I'll talk to you just like I'm talking to Vic right now. Good morning, Vic. Good morning. How are you doing, Bob? I'm great, sir. How about yourself today? Uh, I'm doing fine. Thank you. Uh, I have two or three questions. I have uh, some hibiscus and some pots that have been in, have been in those pots for I know eight years, okay. longer, and I'd like to repot them, uh, and they're just solid roots. They're very hard to keep watered. I put a drip system on, on sure. them in the summertime, and right. they water, I water them like four times a day <laughs> to keep them from wilting. That's sometimes what with it a, takes. With a timer, and uh, the water runs through them. Uh, it's just all solid roots. You can see the fine roots, you know, yes, on, top of the, yes, sir. on top of the pot. So. I wanted. I want bought some of these Vietnamese uh, terracotta pots. I'd uh-huh. like to put them in. Yeah. And can I shave some of that root off of them with a sawzall or something, and go around and then 
put it in there? Or what's the best way to do that? You know, you can shave some roots off if you want. What I tend to do, and it's not nearly as critical with hibiscus as it would be with an oak tree or something like that, but um, I just will take a, a little short knife. They sometimes call them box cutters. I use a, what they sell as a sheetrock knife, and I'll just uh-huh. kind of split it from top to bottom, you know, on two sides, and I figure that's going to get those roots branching and spreading into the new soil. And um, I, I think that's easier than, as you say, just trying to kind of shave the roots irregularly around the edge. But uh, that's what I do. And uh, the only disadvantage to it is that it's going to be a little more difficult to move a bigger, heavier pot in and out than it is in those yeah. uh, pots they're in now. But uh, you go ahead and you do that whenever you're ready to, Vic. And as you've discovered, and as I tell people all the time, being root-bound is not a problem for the plant, but the more root-bound the plant becomes, the more often you'll have to water it because the faster it dries out. And when you get to the point of having to water it four times a day like you are, I think it'll it'll make your life easier when you have, get them into a little bit bigger container. Yes, uh, yes, I think so. Uh, do you recommend painting the inside of those pots? They're just regular uh, the terracotta color. They're not glazed or anything. Uh, do you recommend painting the inside of those pots? No reason to. You know, Mexican terracotta, yes, yeah, a good idea to paint both inside and outside to seal them because they're poorly fired and they crumble badly. But uh, uh-huh. that Vietnamese, uh, in fact, all of the Asian pottery makers over there, man, they they do, I think, uh, I think the glazed... Uh, pottery coming out of Vietnam right now is probably the best in the world, and the Vietnamese terracotta, uh, it's pretty much a toss-up between the Italians and the Vietnamese as to who does the better job, but I don't think you accomplish a thing by painting, and you will... One of the advantages to terracotta, of course, is that oxygen will move through it, unlike a plastic pot, so it's actually better for the roots, and you lose that if you, you know, if you paint it with any kind of sealer, but Hibiscus aren't particular about much of anything except getting plenty of sun and plenty of water. So uh, you can if you want to, but I don't think you're going to increase the longevity of the pots or really gain anything by doing it. Okay. Uh, and then also I'm thinking about maybe putting, I have some of those Moy Grandi hibiscus. Mm-hmm. And I uh, I was thinking about getting one of those large horse troughs, uh-huh. nice horse troughs. Yeah. And would you drill? It'll be sitting on the ground. Would you you drill the holes in the in the bottom? I drill about twenty holes in the bottom. In the side, right at the bottom, or on the bottom? Uh, That's totally up to you. On the side, you can pretty much be assured that they will drain well. Sometimes, depending on the surface that they are sitting on. Um, they can get on a, a layer of clay and kind of seal up. So I right. would prefer drilling right at the bottom all the way around. Plus, you have the benefit that it'll still happen, but the roots are less likely to grow out the holes in the side than they are to go down through the bottom and into the ground. And many a gardener has gone to move a pot that they thought was going to be easy to move and found out that they're is a huge root going down to the ground underneath it. And while you're bringing up right. drilling, that's one of the things I would do with those terracotta uh, uh, pots from Vietnam is I would, of course, use a masonry bit, but I'd put a couple of extra holes in the bottom of the pot. I don't like any pot that only has one hole in the bottom because I've seen them get plugged up and I've seen 
you know what that what can happen afterwards so uh um i i would add a couple of holes and if you you know depending on how hard fired the clay is and you've probably already all discovered all this but for the benefit of other listeners if it's a really hard pot and i want to drill you know say a half inch or uh five eighths inch hole in it what i'll sometimes do is drill a little pilot hole with a very small um masonry bit and then i can Uh go back with that larger bit and i bet i've drilled oh i don't know thousands of pots literally and uh only one i ever broke was where i was putting too much pressure on the drill and it went through Uh unexpectedly and i made a bigger hole in the bottom than i planned to but uh a a good sharp masonry bit is a uh uh, is really wonderful tool yeah well I'll, i'll do that uh and you think about five eighths or a half inch holes big enough. Oh yeah, yeah. And, I and think the, that's plenty the, big. And the horse trough also, right? Yes, sir. Now, are you using one of these uh, Rubbermaid horse troughs, or are you using the galvanized metal? No, the galvanized. Huh? Yeah. Um, I you know, Moy Grandi hibiscus are not real sensitive. Uh, the material they use is zinc that they use in the galvanizing process that can be toxic to plant roots when it oxidizes and so if i were putting anything real sensitive in there i would consider painting the inside of that galvanized uh, trough a lot sooner than i would be the pots and if you want to extend the life of it you know just get you some roofing compound or something like that and paint the inside of that galvanized trough now you don't have to do that but your roots will be happier and the trough will last a lot longer if you do okay and uh uh i agree with you on that weed block i bought a house that has rock in lots of places and Uh got the weed block under it and a lot of the plants were dying or dead when i got here and I cut as much of it as I can off. When you take it, when you pull it up, they put it right up to the plant. When you pull it up, that ground is just uh, dead. You know, just it's hard. Yep. Yeah. So I can't get it all out. It'd be a huge job, but I get as much as I can around each plant. Well, you're doing exactly the right thing, and then you know, get after it with a little compost or compost tea or even hydrogen peroxide will help flocculate that soil and. Uh, Things yeah. start. It's kind of like exposing the root flares. Things start getting better immediately. Yeah, I use some of that mycorrhiza. I planted a bunch of yeah. shrubs, and I use that mycorrhiza. But uh, and then one more thing. A lot of times the the, the dirt will you know wash out of the pots mm-hmm. at the bottom. Yeah. Can you use some of that old wood uh, weed block to put down in there? To I I just use in? I just use a little piece of window screen. I think oh, that's a lot weed. better than the weed block. Or yeah. um, if you got an old piece of shade cloth, um, that uh-huh. weed block deteriorates and it can really plug up pretty easily. But uh, I've used uh, just cut little squares of window screen. I've cut little pieces of shade cloth, and uh, I think all those things will work a lot better than the weed block would. Okay, and I, I could use that also on that harsh trough, I guess. If you feel like it's necessary, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I'm going to put uh, potting soil in there. That would be the best, I think. For what you're going to be getting now, um, you know, what you can find, probably so. Um, I am very impressed. Nature's Guide is making some uh, new products out there, and I just got a sample of what's going to be on the market around the 1st of January that they're calling raised bed soil that they are making specifically for 
bigger containers because it'll be substantially less expensive than potting soil, and it does not have the perlite in it, so it's not going to be floating out all over the place. But uh, uh, that's going to be a real good product that's going to hit the shelves in January. Uh, New Earth is also bringing back their ladybug line, and they make a garden soil. Now, their garden soil, I like mixing it with a little bit of compost, but um, I, I'm i just not a big fan of spending the money to buy that much potting soil when I think there are other things that will probably work better in a lot of ways. And, you know, that perlite just floats everywhere and just uh, makes a mess and where you're uh, inside on your house plants, that's one thing where you're watering with the watering can, but you're out there with a the hose watering your pots, and uh, I, I think that there would be some better things. And uh, if you don't find them today, by the time you're ready for it, there should be a couple of great new products out there for you. Oh, okay. You know, it'd take a lot of bags and be pretty expensive. I was thinking about it. I got uh, some potting soil from, uh, is it New Earth? Uh-huh. Oh, in bulk. In yeah. bulk. Uh, and I can do that with, with my pickup and bring some out. Well, yeah, out. that'll work just think. fine. But but take a look at both piles. Look at their garden soil pile and look at their potting soil pile and see which ones you think is going to do better for you. Okay. All righty. I'll do that. All righty. I appreciate it. Thank Always good to talk to you, Vic. this morning. All righty. <laughs> Thank you, sir. We'll All talk right. again. Bye. Good morning, Shirley. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Uh, I am behind on my gardening this year for some reason. <laughs> I am every year. That is nothing unique about that fact. Uh, well, I'm wondering. I heard you talk about the onions. Do you still have onion sets down there? We have onion plants. You don't want sets. Um, sets are those little yeah. shrivel-up bulbs that don't do much. But, yes, we will. We probably, unless uh, rainy weather over where they grow all this stuff uh, fouls things up. We keep fresh onion plants in between now and about next February. So, yes. Okay, and it's not too late to do uh, my beets and all that stuff. It is not too late at all, Shirley. But here's the thing. With any of those little seeds that were sprouting like beets or radishes or carrots, even though they are normally totally cold-hardy, when they first come up, they have to build up their own antifreeze by a few days of sunshine or a couple of weeks of sunshine. So the beet that is totally cold-hardy a month from now is going to be susceptible to frost damage for the first couple of weeks. So uh, you can absolutely plant. I'll be planting more this next week in my own garden, as a matter of fact. But you have to be prepared for the first couple of weeks to put a little insulate or some kind of row cover over them if it gets... uh, if it gets down to the point we're going to have frost or weather down in the 20s, whereas after they've had a couple of weeks to harden off, they'll be fine. But, uh, no, it's a great time to plant the seed, but just be aware if we get uh, some unexpected cold, may have to cover them for the next couple of weeks, and then, then you don't have to worry about it. Okay, great. And also, I have a lime tree that I got from you all a while back. It's in a pot, mm-hmm. and I have gotten very few limes from it and right now it has none on um the it's green mm-hmm. you know it's about uh two and a half maybe three feet tall in the pot and lots of leaves and stuff no fruit how often are you fertilizing gosh probably 
probably not not recently. Okay. Well, I if you really want constant production, I would get one of the good liquid organic fertilizers, and I'd be feeding every couple of weeks, and I'd be certain that it's getting you know absolutely full sun. Now, limes do have to be protected from a hard freeze, but uh, they don't ever go dormant per se. They're hungry all the time. So uh, increase your fertilizing and be sure that it's getting uh, more sun. And that's the nice thing about the little Mexican limes, not like Persian limes, the little Mexican lime or key lime. Uh, those can bloom and produce at any time of the year. So I think it probably just is a little bit hungry. It needs to be fertilized a little more often. Okay, I'll do it today. Perfect. Uh, also, um, compost in the lawn. Uh-huh. I'm not too late to do that, am I? Not at all. <laughs> it's uh, We've got really any time between now and probably April is going to be good, but the sooner the better as far as heading off a lot of the weeds that want to sprout and grow between now and then. Okay. Uh, one area of my lawn that doesn't get as much sun as the other but does get some, and uh, I've got to cut some of the limbs off those trees. <laughs> but but anyway, I would I was counting going to fertilize first, and then put the compost on top. Um, so that should be okay. That's when the about- best. That's the best order. You don't have to do it. You can put the compost first. But if you want the best of the best, then you're doing exactly right. Put down your fertilizer. And then by putting the compost on top of it, you're bringing in all those microbes that are going to be digesting it and making it available to the plants. So, yeah, wherever possible, fertilize first and then compost on top of that. That's perfect. Okay, then do um, I have a bougainvillea. It is beautiful. <laughs> I have it out in the yard and everybody comments on it. Uh-huh. Do I have any chance of saving that over the winter? You know, most winters in San Antonio, we get enough cold to nip the top of it a little bit, but only once. Now, this is growing in the ground? Well, actually, it's in a pot uh, right now. Raised up in a pot, it is more susceptible to freeze damage. But, um, you know, even if you do nothing, I would give you probably an 80% chance that it will come through the winter. It will probably freeze back. But if we get down below 20 degrees, we get down into the teens, that's cold enough to kill it in a pot. You would need to bring it in or cover it up. Uh, but it, there are many, many, many bougainvilleas around San Antonio that have been in for years. I don't remember at least bougainvilleas in the ground. I don't remember a killing freeze on bougainvilleas in the last 15 years. So uh, um, I'm sure not going to be worrying about a lot unless we get severely cold if you want to keep it looking nice if you want to keep it blooming then it would be good to throw a little bit of roll cover insulate fabric something like that over it when we're going to have a heavy frost but uh, uh, bougainvilleas are are hardy most winters here even though they may freeze back to some extent Okay, I'm I'm having a senior moment here. The, the Christmas plant that you you every you have and everybody has. What am I thinking? Poinsettias. Poinsettias. Right. Do deer do deer like them? A hungry deer will taste anything, and deer cannot. They can't. They don't have incisors like we have to bite an apple. They they can't bite something off. They have to grab it and then shake and rip it off. So deer will tear up a poinsettia trying to figure out if it tastes good. Once they get a taste, they won't like it and they won't come back to it. But uh, the deer may be damaging may damage your poinsettias if they're not if they're not screened out. 
Okay, and I have that spray, so I that I yeah. could use that on it. You okay. can use that. Yeah, don't spray it right on the colorful parts, the bracts up on the top, but spray the rest of the plant and spray a bit of the ground around, and uh, that should keep them away. Okay, um, one other thing: orange and lemon tree. Lots of it on my trees. Mm-hmm. I have. I, I like to leave them on a long time yeah. because they just get, the oranges get sweeter and so do the lemons. Absolutely. That's, that's okay, is it not? That's what Mother Nature intended, and the longer you can leave them, the sweeter they will be because it's that sunshine on those leaves that makes that sugar, and that's what makes them sweet. Okay, okay. Well, gosh, I'm, I appreciate it. I am kind of behind because I had lots of company, and I got that bug for some reason, and so... Now I've got to get going. (laughs) Well, if you're like me, boredom is not a word that's in my vocabulary. (laughs) I've always got such a long list of things to do. Sometimes I hope for a rainy day just because it'll make me do the housework I've been putting off. So uh, uh, just remember that the great majority of things, it can wait till tomorrow. It can wait till next week. So don't break your back trying to get caught up. You'll get there. Okay, and one other thing, you have that wonderful place down there. I have company, uh, my grandson and his and his girlfriend from Colorado, uh-huh. and I would, and they're all into organics. So I wanted to bring them down to your place. Is that do you have something special going on today? We serve homemade cookies and hot apple cider with mulling spice, and uh, we do that every day through the holiday season. We got a huge shipment of poinsettias yesterday, so it would be a fun day to visit. I probably, I'll be in and out all day because I'm the chief poinsettia delivery boy, and we do deliver at this time of year, so I'm going to be in and out on the road making people happy all over town, so uh, may or may not be there, but bring them by. I can promise you they'll enjoy the visit. Oh, I'm sure they will. Okay, well, thank you, Bob. I appreciate all your help. My pleasure, Shirley. You do the same. Thank you. Okay, bye. Uh, Bye. Good morning, Vic. Good morning. I'm sorry I forgot what uh, question. (laughs) I wondered if that was the same Vic. What did you forget? Well, I'm in the process of uncovering the root flares on on my oak trees. Yes, sir. And right now I'm in an area that they didn't put any of that weed block around, so it's rocks, it's mulch, so it's a lot easier. Yes, sir. And I use a I use a hose and a, one of those little short uh, nozzles that puts out a strong stream mm-hmm. and wash the dirt away, and then I cut the roots and wash the dirt away. Most of them aren't too bad. I've got one that I haven't found the root fur yet, probably about. 10 inches or a foot down. Unfortunately, anyway, I've seen them six feet down. I hope you find it yeah. soon. Yeah, no, I, 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 the way the ground looks and everything, I don't think it's too much deeper. But anyway, my question is, is uh, the cornmeal, I'm, uh, I know you said one time that you could put cornmeal in a five-gallon bucket and let it sit overnight. Yes, sir. Do you pour that right around the the trunk? Generally, generally within 10 feet of the trunk. And uh, that'd be that's see that's kind of I got so many oak trees. Uh, you'd have to it'd be as like a solid ring of that uh, ten feet away from the. <laughs> well, you know my right? my dentist used to have a sign up that said you don't have to floss all your teeth, just the ones you want to keep. In this case, you don't right. have to treat all your trees, just the ones you don't want to get oak wilt. Right, yes. <laughs> so it doesn't uh, have well. to, I mean, you don't have to do all this today. If you divide your yard into quadrants and do one section this week and the next section the next week, you'll eventually get around to all of them. And uh, 
Uh, unless you have oak wilt right in the neighborhood, probably doing this once a year is going to be enough. If you have oak wilt in the neighborhood, you probably want to do it two or three times a year. But uh, it's, you know, it, it's just... It's just a good idea, and uh, if there's any oak wilt around, start on the side of your yard that is closest to where those oak wilt centers are. Okay. Well, would it be easier? Can you just spread the cornmeal, throw it out like you're feeding chickens, and spread it around over the area? Would that be it's It's well easier. It's easier. You're going to use about 10 times as much cornmeal, so it's going to get more expensive. And you may have issues with animals coming in trying to eat it. But that's what we did right. before we learned that the putting it in water would work. It's just putting it in water. You don't deal with the animal issues. You only use about a tenth as much. So uh, you just do whatever works well for Vic. It's not the cornmeal that's the magic. It's trichoderma fungus that grows on it that does all the all the good things. Right. How? I mean, you don't have to put it on thick, right? Oh, no, sir. Just, no, sir. I just uh, yeah. kind of a light, like salt and pepper dusting of it around. Just yeah. to get that trichoderma yeah. started. I think that'd be the easiest way because they're kind of like moths, you know. They're sure. just trees. Some of them are two or three feet apart. Some of them are that works. eight feet apart. That works. I could just do the whole area that way. Yes, sir. All righty. I appreciate it. I appreciate you, sir. You have a good week, right. and we'll talk again. And I say good morning, Faye. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Good morning to uh, you. Uh, while listening to the news, I was able to get the cattle dog out this morning <laughs> so she can get to work uh, with all of her chores. Oh, and they, oh, they're just such bundles of energy. If we could just bottle oh. that and get a little infusion of it every day, uh, uh, I might actually have a chance of getting caught up someday. <laughs> Boy, is that the truth? She's, she's like all muscle and energy. You know, you and, probably uh, would enjoy, I've, I've told a number of people, the, uh, not a cartoon, but a picture I saw recently that I think would probably apply to those as well. But it's a man out walking his dog, and he says, until I acquired a lab, I had no idea how much of the world was edible. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Just most most people with dogs find that humorous and, and accurate. <laughs> oh, gee. Well, I you know, sometimes I get a little bit... Uh, tired of some of the antics but uh i wouldn't be without i don't well, believe i i had catalogs for years and labs are my current favorites but uh you you've got a high energy super intelligent dog so she's off to have a good day as well so how can i help you this morning <laughs> a couple of things that uh we have a lot of this is property that that has been sort of neglected for a while and so there's a good bit of nut grass, and I, I want to refresh the um, molasses treatment on it. And then there are these vines that are small, and I don't know what they're called, but they're close to the ground, and they're really a problem. It's like the whole thing is stickers, mm-hmm. you know, the <laughs> and spiny, and uh, they hurt when you grab one accidentally. Right. And I'm wondering about how best to get rid of those what what i might apply that's organic and or or how how to handle those two things just sort of a refresher well it's there is no spray organic or otherwise that will really take care quickly of that uh uh most people just call it green briars botanical name is smilax s-m-i-l-a-x smilax bone and axe and if you ever tried to dig one up 
you find this gnarly, woody mass underneath the ground, and it's just it's just so tough. There's there's nothing will kill it, including the nastiest stuff out there. I get rid of it where I need to get rid of it, just with repeated cuttings. And um, if this property, whether you're using a mower or a shredder or whatever, um, I, that's going to be one way to do it. I know people who have eliminated by simply putting goats on the property for a year or so because blasted goats eat almost anything, and they just eat off every new sprout that comes out. And that uh, that gets rid of it. But it's it's a hardy native plant, and there is no simple way to keep it under control. But I'm like you. I've got a couple of puncture wounds from where I was, I was getting rid of some of it myself uh, on one of my days off this week. But uh, really, with everything that you're doing there, the best way to keep down the bad stuff is just to mow it or shred it regularly. And then follow that up with uh, some good compost, uh, maybe even overseed with some uh, good native grasses uh, and let them choke out the bad stuff. Otherwise, uh, it's just going to be more work than you have time to do. And you are fortunate to be in an area that gets a little more rain than we do. So this is always going to make the nuts edge tougher to control. But. I, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna focus on that so much that I neglect other things that need to be done. So I would mow regularly. I would apply the molasses as a liquid spray rather than a drench. In this case, uh, I would get out compost whenever you can and let Mother Nature do most of the work for you because it just this was land that wasn't being properly taken care of. And when that happens, Mother Nature just sends in a lot of different things to hold the soil in place. And unfortunately. Unfortunately, most of them have what we would consider negative qualities. So uh, it didn't go down overnight. And unfortunately, it's not going to come back up overnight, no matter what you do. So don't lose too much sleep over it. Just do the things you would normally do. You look back, you know, a year or two from now and uh, everything will be wonderful. Well, thank you, Bob. That's encouraging. And I'll uh, get after it and uh, not let it consume everything that well it's just a lot of attention you know recovery on anything takes a while i used to plant sudan and grow and bale to feed my cattle and let me tell you that was one of the worst things in the world plowing the ground all the time and i got horrible sicker burr problems i got all sorts of things because i didn't really know better when I realized what was going on, I went back, replanted some of the native grasses, and pretty much ignored it. And a uh, year and a half later, I had the most beautiful pasture grass you've ever seen in there. So I guess like the doctors say, the the first thing is first do no harm and uh, get rid of the stuff you don't like uh, or at least whack it back. And nature will, will replant with the things that you would consider good plants. Well, thank you, Bob. Thanks so much. That's encouraging, and I'll be talking to you on the next project. I'll look forward to hearing from you, Faye, always. Have a good weekend between yeah. then now and then. Thank you. Many thanks. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Bye. All right. Next up is going to be Wendy. Good morning, Wendy. Good morning. Got a question about acorns and when's a good time to plant them. Acorns, uh, Mother Nature is planting them right now, or all those little bushy-tailed, furry uh squirrels or tree rats whichever you prefer to call them or planting them so right now is a good time to do it what kind of acorns are you considering planting what kind of trees are you looking to grow live oak and spanish oak 
Okay. Um, the thing to do, two things that are uh, will make it a lot easier, just take a bucket of water and throw your acorns in there. The acorns that sink are the ones that you want to plant. The acorns that float probably have had a little caterpillar or something get inside eating the heart out of them. So uh, the ones that are going to germinate and grow best for you are going to be the ones that sink. Uh, you can plant them in almost any kind of soil in, in containers. Doesn't have to be potting soil. Just good garden soil is fine. Uh, plant your acorns about an inch deep. The orientation of the acorn makes no difference which way is up and down. But very importantly, when you have your pots planted, if they're outside, cover them with hardware cloth or chicken wire or something like that because the squirrels will go through and they'll thank you for putting them all in that nice soft soil and they will go through and dig them up and eat them overnight so don't forget to cover the pots once you have your acorns planted good deal thank you also wondering about um i'm going to start a brand new butterfly garden area very good hummingbird that type of stuff i've got uh-huh. a Pretty good, pretty good, probably, oh, 100 by 100 at least, or 100 by 120. Wow. Um, and it's native, yeah, and it's a garden area that we've abandoned. Uh, so the native grass has been coming up a lot. Uh, what would be the order that I would do it in so that I could have my little trails that go through it, bring in a few piles of dirt to make humps for different, uh, you know, and then, you know, an area for uh, blue bonnets and paintbrushes and another area for salvias and some of that. What's the order that I should do all of that as far as, like, cutting that native grass or, or uh, um, you know, just, just cutting it with a lawnmower as low as it would go mm-hmm. and then come in with the fresh dirt? Or well, what, I, what would be the order for the sidewalk and the watering, you know, the, the water drip <laughs> that needs to go to it? I, I think you're I think you're overthinking this a little bit, and I think you're planning to do a lot more than you really need to do. Um, I, I don't, unless you're just sitting on pure rock, I doubt that you need to bring in any, any fresh dirt of any sort. Um, as far as, you know, probably first things, well, the first thing to do is to get a plan in mind, and, uh, you know, you can do different things. When we first did the walkway pattern in our nursery, we had little scraps of wood that we laid them out and rearranged them and rearranged them and rearranged them until we got what we liked. Then we staked it out uh, so that even if it was a while before we got through putting the walkways in, we, we had a good idea of where they were going to go. Now, right now, we are getting toward the end of wildflower planting season, so I would think about getting making it a priority to uh, get some wildflower seed out soon because, like I say, it's we're we're getting toward the end of the ideal season to do that, and uh, there's just a lot of things uh, you can just you can plant a wildflower mix if you like, or if you're looking things that'll be really good for your pollinators and things. Look at some of the bee balms. Uh, Monarda is a botanical name. A horseman's another name for it. Um, plant uh, some of the poppies, some of the things that are going to be most attractive to your butterflies and to your hummingbirds and things like that. And don't worry if, I mean, don't necessarily try to plant nothing where your paths are going to be. Uh, most of those wildflowers are just going to gradually cover over the entire area. At some point, you may think about doing an area that's primarily blue bonnets, but 
I'm going to tell you, mixed wildflowers are usually the best bet because your blue bonnets will tend to bloom early, and they will be mixed in with the paintbrush and some of the gallardias. And then as they start going to seed, they're not real attractive, but in a well-planned area, then all of a sudden you've got the larkspur, and you've got a lot of more warm-weather wildflowers starting to come in, so you don't notice how ugly the blue bonnets look while they're going to seed. But I would make, you know, I would make that one of my priorities. Uh, the problem with the native grasses, um, you know, uh, your your summertime grasses do not compete with your wildflowers. Your wintertime grasses do. If you have a lot of green winter grass growing and you want wildflowers, you might want to mix up some vinegar and orange oil and go spray and kill off some of that that uh, wintertime grass is growing because that will compete with your wildflowers. But uh, your summer grasses, you really don't have to worry about. You can mow them if you like, but the one thing about planting wildflower seed is that the seed needs to make good contact with the soil underneath. So if you mow that area, you're going to need to go back in and rake it to the point when you put out your wildflower seed that, you know, the seed will make good seed-to-soil contact so that it can germinate and grow well. So I would tend to just leave the native grasses as they are if they're desirable grasses, and they'll they'll come back on their own time in the spring and won't really interfere with anything else you're doing. Um, when you lay out your sort of master plan, kind of sketch on there which are going to be the shady areas and which are going to be the sunny areas, and anytime you're ready, you can go ahead and plant things like Turk's Cap and American Beautyberry, uh, in the shadier areas because they're going to become established and grow well, and there's absolutely no reason to put that off. And, um, you know, just kind of divide it up in segments and, and attack it one at a time. Uh, don't don't make this so much work that it stops being fun. So so is there really a uh, the water drip? Do you think that's necessary for wildflowers? Well, you know, you're asking just excellent questions. The problem with uh, with providing supplemental water to your wildflowers or anything else is that they become dependent on you. And if you, it's kind of like feeding the birds. If you start feeding them, you shouldn't stop because they become reliant on you to provide for their needs. And while you can be guaranteed of you know having fairly good production as far as flowers and fruit and things on a year-round basis uh, regardless of what the weather does um you know irrigation brings its own set of problems along with it in that uh uh, it it just you can't stop watering once you've started watering because those plants literally uh, become reliant on the water that you're providing them so I would be, again, kind of master planning this area and saying, okay, maybe over here I want to do some drip irrigation, but uh, it would be very difficult, and I don't think a real wise idea, to try to put the whole area under drip or irrigation of any sort. It's real nice to be able to water when we have a really dry year, but uh, once again, the cost of water, the restrictions you may run into on water availability and when you can water, that's just not a real good road to go down unless you're also planning to put in uh, a few thousand gallons of rainwater so that you won't be affected uh, by, by drought or watering regulations. Okay. Okay. I just know I planted a few uh, plants that were kind of on, on a end of season or whatever mm-hmm. in the heat. 
and uh, didn't get to water them, but once a week. They were in a pot, though. I didn't have them in the ground. Sure. You know, and so now now those are all dead. Right. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's like I don't want to go to the expense when I find a good deal sure. on, on some of the, the potted plants, mm-hmm. you know, and end up losing them when uh, it, it's at a vacation rental that's, that's over in Lakey. Sure. And so, you know, just trying to figure out that I can't ask my guests to water it, you know, if I'm solidly booked or whichever way it sure, goes. Sure, sure. So, well, the, the, here, here are a few thoughts on that. Number one, summertime is the worst possible time to put out shrubs, perennials, anything else that have to be watered. Um, wintertime is by far the best because the water requirements are so much lower. And... Uh, you can actually do, like, if you're using what I like, the best uh, drip system in the world, I think, is what they call the pressure-compensated drip tubing that can be quite portable. And you could put a timer on this. You could set it up. And if you're doing a relatively small area, uh, it's not a big deal, and it's not a big expense. You simply use a piece of what we call blank line that has no emitters to get out to the area that you're watering, and then you use the the line that has a little emitter every foot, and then you can just set that to come on and water daily, every three days, every five days, every seven days, whatever works to get that area established. And then, you know, next the next season, the next opportunity, maybe you want to, once these plants are in and growing where they don't need that regular watering, then you can just simply lift that drip up, move it somewhere else, and repeat the process. Now, over a period of time with a pressure-compensated drip, you're going to find that the connectors, the L's and the T's and things like that, I find that those things get brittle and break easily after about two years in the sun. But that tubing, you know, I've got stuff out there that's been in for, what, six or seven years now since it first came on the market that, as far as I can tell, is as good as the day I put it in. But uh, you will have to do some maintenance on replacing some of the L's and T's if you move it around, but... That's just, you know, one more thought about how may how may you may want to accomplish this. Okay. Sounds great. Sounds like a great start. Just trying to figure out trails going through it. I want it to be kind of a secret garden, you sure. know, kind of thing. And eventually have the, the shrubs or the or the uh uh I don't know that Althea is the right one. Anyway, the the Anyway, some of the, the taller to where it would be, you can't see it from the outside. Well, and you know? and that all comes to proper, yeah, that, that all comes down to proper planting. And, um, you know, start, start with uh, a drawn-to-scale layout of the whole area. Draw in fairly precisely where the trees are, uh, kind of shade in the area to show where the sun patterns are winter and summer. And I'm sure you're going to have some areas that are going to be in deeper shade, and there are perennials that will do very well there. You can have some areas that are going to get that blistering sun, and you'll have annuals and perennials that do well there. But it's it, this is something you can't really rush into. You should you should probably spend you know two hours planning for every hour that you spend actually implementing this, and uh, the planning includes laying out your walkways and things like that. And then sit back and look at it and think, is this the best? And and like I say, if you're using, I mean, you could use painted rocks. You could use uh, pieces of, you know, construction scrap or whatever, but something that you can lay out your walkways. And if you don't like it, you can pick it up and move it and play with it for a while and make a game out of it. And uh, I, I can promise you that in the long run, the outcome will be much better than trying to do it all in one weekend, so to speak.
Mm-hmm, perfect. Okay. What about the shrubs or the trees around the outside of it? That that. What would you recommend that would also do the butterflies, the the hummingbirds, the birds, the you know whatever? Um, uh, I can't think of any names to throw out at you. The ones that just millions of blooms. Sure. Uh, I would get a list from Texas Parks and Wildlife of uh, of they have a long, good, recommended list. And um, it's going to be buried plants like Yopon hollies, perhaps Russian olive, Eliagnus. Um, it's going to be uh, some fruit-bearing uh, different types of things that, that can do that. But some of your big, uh, I would look at Pride of Houston Yopon. I would look at Possum Haw Holly. Um, and, and just kind of go through their list and uh, keep in mind that deer may be an issue, so you're going to have to decide whether you want to fence the deer out. You're going to be much more limited as to what you can plant if you can't keep the deer out of there. Um, yeah, got a high fence there. Oh, okay. Well, then you're in good shape. Well, start with the start with the list from Parks and Wildlife, and um, um, they'll get you off to a good start. But things I would strongly consider that will have some height are going to be evergreen things like mountain laurel, like uh, yopon. I'm going to mix in some things that are fairly large, even though they're going to drop their leaves, like uh, Mexican buckeye, like American beautyberry. Um, uh, just and, and just kind of look around the area at what's already growing there, and uh, you may be surprised at how much, uh, how much will actually fill in on its own. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate the start. Call and let me know how the how the program goes. Good deal. We'll keep in touch. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Wendy. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. Well, I say good morning, Jeff. Good morning, morning, Bob. Great show as always. Thank you, sir. Um, question about uh, I I've heard it called sheep's heads, goat goat's head. You know, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I do, and the words we use to describe them are not allowable on the air if we're talking about the same thing. <laughs> yes. I just I just call them a pain in the grass, and I can get rid- get away right. with saying that, yeah. Exactly. Uh, I've been, uh, uh, it's because of compacted soil. I mean, is that it? It's, uh, it's compacted, or- yeah, it's compacted soil is is one of the main things and and just lack of competition uh mother nature hates bare ground and you know if and i'm sure you have tried pulling up some of those things and all and they have lousy root systems they're just mother nature just put them there to put something on top of the ground and just about any decent plant in the world will choke them out okay uh i've got uh palmetto and some uh floor tim mm-hmm. mix well what's going to happen there for to end some like 30 year old or 40 year old which i don't know what it is i'm sure some of it's raleigh sure um it's all mixed through the grass what's going to happen with all that i mean is, is the floor tam going to take over everything no the floor tam's going to dominate in the sunny areas and the palmetto is going to dominate in the shady areas okay okay and then uh, what about the raleigh will it just go away or those take them over you know, it's in an ideal world where we were doing everything we could to keep the grass in good shape. There's nothing wrong with Raleigh. Raleigh is just okay. very susceptible to brown patch fungus. And in most areas, brown patch becomes a real issue, much more so than it will with your St. Augustine, uh, with your Floritam or with your Palmetto. So um, being a good gardener, the Raleigh may do fine for you and just, there will be little places where it's going to die out and the other's going to replace it. But I don't 
think you need really to do anything to encourage it. All three of them are acceptable grasses, and uh, I just give them the basic care that you usually do and let them tough it out and see who's strongest and who likes your own little microclimate the best. Understood. Uh, uh, can I tell the difference? Can I can I see floor tam and Raleigh? Is, is there? Because I could tell the palmetto. I mean, it's yeah. obviously different than the floor tam. But uh, the the Raleigh, I don't know. I mean, uh, the, uh, sometimes it's growing so well, it looks like floor tam. I don't know. The, the floor tam is a little bit, you'd almost have to look at them side by side. The floor tam is a tougher grass. Uh, if you walk through it barefoot, you're going to like walking on the Raleigh better than you like walking on the floor tam. Floor tam was developed as a coastal grass because it's more resistant to chinch bugs. That was his great claim to fame, and it will take, you know, blazing July sun, and it is more drought tolerant. So it's a little coarser grass. It's a little stiffer. It's a little tougher as far as cutting. But, um, again, it's it's hard to tell in spring and fall because everything's growing so well but in the middle of the summer the grass that looks best is going to be your flora tam got you and then uh, on the uh uh sheep's heads goats goats head uh uh soil activator uh should keep it out i mean and and how often and i'd i go with i go with dry molasses dry molasses molasses. and you know just good uh um, a layer of compost uh, in my own yard, which is Bermuda because I don't water. Uh, I had an area with these things that were so thick you could not walk in. The dogs would, you know, go around this area. I put that half inch of compost over, and where I'd had 10,000 burrs the previous summer, I think I pulled three or four the entire summer afterwards. So um, it's a lot of work, and, you know, you spend a little bit of money getting a good organic compost, but uh, I know of nothing that will do more. Now, given time, your St. Augustine's going to totally choke out the burrs. But uh, if you want to speed the process up, I think the single best thing is going to be compost. Probably second best thing is going to be molasses. Excellent, excellent. Okay, and then uh, uh, you like you like the new earth compost that they're selling at HEB. I mean, is that is that decent? Well, it's decent, but it's way, way, way too expensive to buy it in little bags. If uh, you know, even if you just borrow, borrow a pickup truck, borrow a trailer, whatever, and go out to New Earth and uh, get their certified organic stuff, or go out to Stone and Soil Depot. Jeff keeps it in stock, I think, at all uh, four locations, and uh, pick it up. You're you're paying an awful lot for that plastic bag. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate the information. Keep me posted on your progress, and call me anytime, Jeff. Always here to help you. Uh, thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. All right, it's going to be Wes and Pam and Tony, and Wes is next. Good morning, Wes. Good morning, Bob. Listen, I wanted to tell you, a while back I called, and I had a problem where I have a farm gate, and I had hornets on, uh, ground hornets on both sides of the gate. Uh-huh. You recommended putting out some garlic. Right. So I went to the grocery store, bought me a quart of minced garlic and, all, and garlic oil, and I went out and carefully sewed it around both sides and took off. And uh, for quite a while, I had to use the gate. I would very carefully go through the gate, make sure not to disturb them. I never saw any, Uh but I finally got up enough guts the other day uh, to go out and weed it all down, (laughs) and no no ground hornets. And uh, the only downside of the whole thing was that when I did have to use that gate, I sure wanted to go to an Italian restaurant. (laughs) Other than that, it worked great. I wanted to thank you for it. Well, I appreciate knowing. Thank you. 
<laughs> Again, thanks a lot. Well, have a good weekend. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to call, Wes. Thank you, sir. And uh, there are solutions out there to most problems. Sometimes they're just a little harder to find. And uh, I can tell you the natural ones are longer lasting and safer and a whole lot less expensive. So, uh, um, yeah, yeah, there was no expense because I mean that was really cheap and it was so easy. Boy, I had all these big plans of how to ground them out and stuff like that. So that worked. Really yeah, good. it's just all that money you're spending at Olive Garden or wherever now. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. well, fortunately, there's not one within really, really close to me, so I can't do it. I just had to ask my wife to cook for me. Ah, well, that's that. That's as it should be as well. You have a great holiday season, and I sure appreciate it, Wes. Thank you, Thank sir. You. Okay. Uh next up is Pam. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Um, I have a question. I have a question about variegated ginger. Uh-huh. Um, we have two big, beautiful plants in the front yard, and I know want to know how to protect them over the winter, or will they just die back? Well, um, you know, variegated ginger grows best in a semi-shaded area, which is not likely to get as much frost. So, most years in San Antonio, you don't need to do anything. And if they do freeze down, they'll pop right back out in the spring. On the other hand, if you want to, you know, put a little row cover, insulate, just happens to be one we like best, but there are other ones out there, and cover them when we're, when and if we, you know, get some seriously cold weather. Have you ever had your variegated ginger bloom? Um, actually, we just planted it this summer, so it's okay. the first time that we've had it, uh-huh. so... Well, if you protect it, you quite likely will get some flowering uh, next spring, and the flowers are absolutely beautiful. Not many people, you know, realize that. So you can do as little or as much as you want to. Remember to fertilize in the fall. Remember to keep it well watered. And unless we have temperatures down in the mid-teens or lower, if your variegated ginger freezes down, it's going to pop back out again in a hurry. If you do want to keep it looking a little nicer through the winter months, and if you want the potential for flowers in the spring, then just uh, protect it. I would say, you know, maybe 25 to 28. If it's going to get colder than that, I would cover it. Otherwise, I just wouldn't worry about it. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, my husband's been putting that uh, green cover over that you, the, 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 you get at the garden shop. Yeah. Uh, my my other question was, um, you just mentioned um, putting, I think it was ground cover or um, compost on the lawns now. Right. Okay, so this is a good time to go ahead and get that done. This is the best time to get that done. The only bad time to do it is in the middle of the summer because good compost can cause a temporary yellowing in real hot times. And by hot, I mean probably 85 or above. Um, but just really any time between about October and about April or so, um, it is, it is an ideal time to get your compost out. It's just the sooner the better from the standpoint of when your soil is going to start improving and when the compost is going to get to work doing all the good things it does. And you said, what, an inch, an inch and a half? No, no, no. Half an inch, maybe a quarter to half an inch over any areas that you have grass. Now, if you want to go more, a little more heavily over areas, uh, flower bed areas and things like that, you can. But, no, generally speaking, a quarter to half an inch is all you need to do. What I do putting it over grass is I'll take, you know, what we call a hard rake as opposed to a leaf rake, a grass rake that has that steel bar and then has little tines that stick down. Yeah. That's what I use to spread it. I just flip it upside down and use that bar and just, uh, it goes very quickly. It, uh, 
it'll remind you of some muscles you may not have used in a while if you don't go to the gym <laughs> regularly. But that's what I always say about gardening. You can cancel your gym membership if you're really going to do it right. Oh, thank you so very much. Love the show. Appreciate it, Pam. Thank you for the call. Bye-bye. <laughs> Goodbye. Good morning, Tony. Good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm good. How about yourself today? Oh, fine. Uh, I live at the coast in Aransas Pass. Lucky you. And I, uh, yes, yeah, wonderful. <laughs> I, I, I was listening to the, the fishing report on the uh, on the uh, outdoor show as I was driving in this morning and just thinking how nice it would be to be at the coast today. It's so, yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah. That's uh, okay, but I'm driving into San Antonio. I have granddaughter basketball game on a Saturday, so oh, I want to see it. So I'm absolutely. actually driving in. I'm yeah. actually pulled over. But anyway, okay, so I live, uh, and we have St. Augustine grass. It, it has broken out with brown patch fungus. Okay. Um, especially under the drip lines. Um, I don't have gutters yet. We're in a new home. Uh-huh. And I, that's the next thing I'm going to put on. But what can I do um, to treat that? And uh, one area under the drip line in the back, it's really just devastated about an area two by four feet. Well, here's, uh, so what can I use to stop it, and then what can I use to repair it? Okay, here's the nice thing about brown patch. If it is truly brown patch fungus, brown patch always leaves, even if it looks like it's wiped out a yard, it always leaves uh, a, quite a few little areas that you still have live St. Augustine, and it will come back. And uh, the best thing to treat with is whole-ground cornmeal. And you have a choice of okay. two different ways of putting it out. I mean, just go to the feed store, buy the cheapest cornmeal you can buy. The The cornmeal you do not want is what you get in the grocery store that they call enriched cornmeal because they've, you know, polished away the very best part of the corn. But the cornmeal, of course, grows trichoderma fungus, and trichoderma fungus um, we're just learning more and more about some amazing, amazing properties that it has and just totally knocking out Rhizoctonia, which is the organism that causes a brown patch, is one of those things. Now, um, okay. you, if you would rather spray than put out dry, you can soak your cornmeal. And right now we're finding minimum times about two hours. I think overnight is probably better. Um, you can just uh, soak it and then spray with your, we call it corn water tea, and that will also knock out your brown patch fungus. And being at the coast, you may actually get some regrowth this fall. Um, just like I do up here, I would recommend a little compost over as much of your yard as you can do, especially over the areas that have been impacted by the brown patch fungus. But uh, the cornmeal and the trichoderma that it grows uh, those are going to be the things that are that are going to stop the brown patch. Okay, that sounds good. But yeah, I mean, even now, I, I tried sulfur on it, yep. and it seems to have helped. And it's it's actually where I've pulled out the dead blades. Uh, the root, the the runners are still green, and they're yep. actually sprouting again. Yep. And that's that's warm at the coast. Yeah, that that's the nature of brown patch fungus. It just doesn't. It let, makes it look horrible. But it doesn't yeah. kill as much as you think. Now, you have to be careful with sulfur. If you, if, uh, if we get any heat, and you know as well as I do, you can go from comfortable to chilly to blazing hot very shortly. Sulfur converts yeah. into something called sulfur dioxide, which can be very damaging to a lot of different plants. And the other thing about sulfur is that it may damage some of the beneficial fungi that you don't want to be harming so in the future i think cornmeal will be a 
will be as effective and will be a better long-term program. Um, it just cornmeal does some amazing things in addition to stimulating a fungus that attacks and destroys bad fungi it also builds a resistance in plants to future problems so um i I, we're just learning the more i learn about cornmeal the more of it i use okay that sounds good because i just didn't want to go out and buy that those horrible chemicals no i've just stayed away from them it just it's just you know just horrible i just don't do that so well i'm, I'm proud glad, of you i'm glad you were talking about it well i'm i'm proud of you for adopting that attitude and you're protecting uh, our wonderful estuaries and uh, oceans down there and the other thing about it is the chemicals just don't work as well as the natural stuff does so a lot of reasons to do exactly what you're doing and uh, i appreciate it the environment appreciates it and uh you're going to have a fantastic yard. The one other thing that I would tell you that since you have had some pretty brown bat, pretty bad brown patch this year, next summer, late summer, put out a little bit of uh, cornmeal proactively just to head it off so it doesn't even ever get a foothold. Okay, that sounds good. I mean, my yard, I just planted it in March, and I did it myself, yeah. and it just looked great. <laughs> and now, oh. And I'm one of those guys, I tell you, I am meticulous about my yard, and it has devastated me. <laughs> well, if, uh, you know, the the one other uh, thing you can do, and uh, you'll probably have to look around a bit. I suspect New Earth has an outlet or two down in the Port Aransas Corpus area. In fact, I think Gills may be carrying it over in Corpus. But anyway, find some okay. of that certified organic uh, compost and spread over as much of the yard as you can. And uh, okay. that will, uh, you're going to have a yard you can really be proud of that way. All right. Well, thank you so much, Bob. I appreciate it. And I hope uh, I hope the basketball game goes well. And uh, I do appreciate your call this morning. Uh, it's always good to talk to you, yeah. Tony. Yeah, gr- Grandpa's going to love it. So. <laughs> <laughs> you do that. Thank you so much. Sure. Thank you. Bye. Uh, Bye. As we always do at 8 o'clock on Saturday mornings, or at least virtually always do, I get to say good morning to the Dirt Doctor, Mr. Howard Garrett. What's going on this morning, Howard? Good morning to everybody. Well, just sitting here looking out at all the leaves that we've got to deal with uh, today. (laughs) The guy that helps me maintain the place couldn't get over until today, so we've got a, a record amount on the ground at one time right now i think it's just free material sitting out there waiting to make the ground better so uh it does seem like i don't know i guess that early spring when we when we got some rain seems like the trees put on an extra large uh canopy this summer and uh i know around our place there it sure seems like there are more leaves down there than usual but uh we sure won't complain about it no we uh don't have much turf at all, you know, to, to mulch into, so we do most of it here on the driveway, what I'm looking at right now, and then put it in the beds uh, wherever we have any bare soil, and then the, whatever's left over at the end goes into my giant compost pile, runs the entire width of the property at the back, serving as a erosion control as, as well as anything. Now, leaves are just so valuable, and I uh, have enjoyed reading your columns that you've uh, written over the past few weeks about leaf management, and uh, it's just, I, it still just upsets me when I go by and see the bags and bags and bags sitting out next to the curb, but uh, if you happen to be in the pickup truck, it's also a great time to throw a few in. 
<laughs> and and put them to good use, put them to the kind of uh, of use that they were intended to go to. And it's just it's remineralizes your yard, brings in a ton of organic material. And uh, I do like chopping them up, uh, you know, like say on your driveway or with mower or whatever, because uh, keeps them from blowing around. Uh, but I I just you know it's just one of the best things Mother Nature does for us every fall. Yeah, if you mow it, it reduces the volume by at least 70%, depending on what kind of leaves they are. And I think probably more than uh, that in some cases. I got a, I got some pretty good feedback from that uh, last column. It's funny, I, you know, I talk about it every year, but this was the first time it was featured in one of my columns. And the column has more exposure now since it's on the front of the uh, section on Thursday. And <laughs> one person gave me a good tip that I need to add to my uh, recommendations, and that is when you're mowing it, mowing the leaves, mulching them in, mow it so that the exhaust is blowing toward the direction you're going, so you'll sure. mow them more than once. And, you know, it's common sense, but I never had actually written that specific instruction uh, in there, but that's a good tip. Well, and, you know, some of these mowers, you have a choice of whether you actually blow them out at all. Some of them have a little deal that fits over that that chute, so to speak, and it just kind of holds them in place and just chops them up even better. And you you're not having to, you know, not having to blow them into a bigger pile and go over them more than once. But that that sure is a good tip because well, every time you hit them, the you best way to go for sure. Those those mulching mowers like that grind it all up and. And it looks nice and neat and clean, you know, with basically one passing. But if people just have a regular mower, they sure. uh, need to do it the other way. Sure. Well, I tell you, we sure enjoyed seeing you in town last week, brief though it was, and uh, getting to visit with uh, with all your family except for the four-legged friends at one point. And I have to tell you, it just reminded me, I, of course, got you to autograph the book for my friend up in Bernie and gave it to him as sort of an early Christmas present. Just neat guy. I'll have to introduce you to him sometime. He's a cybersecurity expert, but just follows what you do and uh, one of the smartest people I've ever known. But just seeing how pleased he was getting that just reminds me what a great gift all of your many books make uh, over the holiday season. And I know there are a lot of people out there kind of scratching their heads trying to think what to get people and if they have gardening friends why don't you take just a minute and run through uh the different things that you have written and which which are your favorites uh this of course was the the big book which is sort of a compilation of a lot of them you've done but you've got what 10 or 12 different titles out there now well we've done 15 in total wow. but uh, some of them are not uh, available uh, anymore we did a couple of little books that were basically um, my columns from the Dallas Morning News put mm-hmm. into a book form, and they're still there, but they're kind of hard to find. The first book that I ever wrote was called Plants and Metroplex, and we've had several uh, people you know, in your area buy it because it worked pretty well there. Oh, it's it almost 100% applicable here, and you've, you've updated it, and uh, it's still one of my favorite books. It's funny. Doug doesn't doesn't uh, push it that much because I think he thinks it's it's too limited with the title. But it was it was the first mistake we ever made on titles. Then we put Texas in a, a lot of the names, and a lot of people around the country uh, kind of shy away from them because they have those names in there. Sure. The basic organic program works coast to coast and border to border. You know the the way you plant 
way you prepare soil, the way you uh, plant, the way, especially plant trees, the way you control insects and diseases, and all of the kind of things that we talk about all the time is really the same from Maine to California. You know, you just adjust a couple of things: one's timing, and the other specific uh, plants. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Plants Metroplex was the first. The second one would be the hardest one to find. It's called Landscape Design, uh, Texas style, <laughs> another Texas thing. And it it covers my philosophies on uh, how to de- design gardens and all. It's kind of fun. You can you can get it from the used uh, book places uh, usually. And then uh, we've started doing more specific books, uh, one on trees, Texas trees, and, of course, Malcolm and I did the Texas Bug Book. It it probably has been the most popular one in the last uh, decade, I guess. And uh, it's been updated. Um, it was updated significantly once. And if you've got the old one that had the black mm-hmm. cover, that's the original one, and the new one is, is pretty pretty well updated from that one. And then the lawn care book, organic lawn care book, is obviously specifically on uh, grasses and lawn care, t- turf. And uh, like you said, the big book is uh, a compilation. If you don't like it, it makes a great doorstop because it's so big. <laughs> well, don't forget your herb book, too. I have a lot of friends that are big into growing herbs and just consider that uh, the Bible when it comes to uh, uh, to herb culture in the South. Well, growing herbs, as my teachers taught me how to pronounce the uh, word, is probably our best-kept secret. It, uh-huh. I think people think that it's just about, uh, you know, funny little herb gardens, but it's actually a lot more than that. It's about any, any plant that I consider a herb, which means that uh, it's any plant that has a use mm-hmm. other than looking pretty. And so we cover culinary and medicinal herbs. We also... Uh, cover edible landscaping and uh, edible weeds and all kinds of things. It's it's got a lot of a uh, lot of detail about those specific plants more so than some of my other books. So it's a pretty good one if uh, if people have overlooked it, which a lot of a lot of folks have because of the, the title of it. And then the the latest one is the one I did with Mother Earth News, right. which was an update of the organic manual. It probably has the most, well, it does have the most up-to-date uh, information about uh, what we've learned on the importance of the sick tree treatment and specifically how to do it and the information on root flare exposure and all that, and a lot of drawings and things that help people understand it a little bit more thoroughly than any of the other books do. But now that's the one that you pretty much have to order through Mother Earth News. I, I've got to get with them and see if there's a way we can get it on the shelves, but uh, one of our managers was bringing that up the other day saying, why do I have to go to Mother Earth News to order this because I give so many of them away? So, uh, well, we, y'all ought to be able to buy it wholesale, just like buying it from a publisher from them. Yeah, we'll. Uh, I may have to get with you to get. In fact, I know you can. Yeah. yeah, well, may need to get with you to get a contact because we haven't been able to really find out who to talk to. But uh, we definitely, definitely want to do that. But okay. you know, in, in the meantime, people can buy it from uh, DirtDoctor.com and you know, help uh, help out Torque. That money goes to uh, Texas Organic Research Center when you buy the art of the books through through that route if you can't find them at uh, shades of green 
Well, appreciate that. But and that's that's another thing I've got in my I just as I'm sitting here for the first two and a half hours of the show, I'm thinking of what are going to be timely topics for today to talk with Howard about. And and that's one of the other ones. And that is that we're into December. We're into that period where a lot of folks are thinking about charitable contributions that they're going to make this year. And uh, uh, Torque is just, you know, one of those opportunities to get a good tax credit when you're doing a very good thing if you believe in organics as we do. Well, I appreciate that. We've got uh, something coming up that I was going to talk to you about that might uh, be interesting for some of your listeners because I I think I I know you have listeners uh, in areas other than just in San Antonio. I have a lot of Dallas, as a matter of fact, from what I understand. We're going to have our second show. Doug and I decided we had a a lot of people say, man, I really missed out on uh, going to your art show. I wish we... uh, hadn't had a conflict and so we're going to have a another one and we're basically saying it's for people who didn't get a chance to uh come to it uh people that uh and it's by an invitation only it's huh. it, it's one that we're not uh sending out to the entire newsletter list or talking about specifically on there about where it is and when it is and all that but if anybody it's coming up i'll tell you when it is it's it's next thursday and if anybody listening is interested in getting an invite uh, to it. It's uh, at our office and our uh, uh, my uh, art studio. Basically, come in and see it. In I'll be actually working on some art probably hmm. during this one. And if people want to come, all they have to do is, is send us a, a, a call or send me a, a, an email to info at dirtdoctor.com and say you you're interested in coming it's next Thursday uh, night. And we will uh, let you know all about it, and you can come by and take a look at the stuff in person. Buying the art just off the internet, we've we've sold a few pieces that way, but most people want to see it in person, sure. you know, before they purchase. Uh, well, then they're not worried about shipping into. And for anybody that doesn't know, your offices are there in Northeast Dallas. Uh, I guess would you still call that the Lakewood area? It's not far from the Lakewood area, but it's pretty yeah, easy to get to. We're from, almost in the Lakewood shopping uh, area. Yeah. We're definitely Lakewood, yeah. And it's it's pretty easy to get to any, from anywhere in the Metroplex, and a lot of folks go up to see uh, to see the lights and things of the botanical gardens there. And uh, uh, even though we still run with many frustrations about trying to get them and other organic gardens or other uh, botanical gardens to go organic, but a lot of people come to Dallas, and uh, they're going to be there Thursday. Uh, it, it sounds like a great opportunity, and and they should just uh, probably email's the easiest thing because we don't want to overwork your limited staff there just go to info at dirtdoctor.com and uh, ask for an invitation yeah they can send that i don't mind giving the phone number but uh, it's easy to send it just to info at dirtdoctor.com the phone number is is the only phone number we use and it's used during the show and and during the week too and it's eight uh eight six six four 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 three four seven eight so either way, just let us know you want to come, and we will fix you up with the information to come by. It's real simple. We'll have a little beer and wine and uh, very simple snacks, and you get to see the art in person in my studios and chat and all that kind of thing. So it, it, it'll it be a fun thing to do. That yeah, sounds like a great, great. And we'll try to do one in San Antonio one of these days. Like you and I have been talking, we'll try to figure out how to 
have one uh, at Shades of Green at some point. We will we will sure look forward to doing that. One other thing I wanted to uh, bring up today, we're certainly getting into, we're in the Hill Country, we're having frosts fairly regularly, and I think you may be in Dallas as well, but uh, do you have favorites when it comes to row covers? Uh, people, you know, a lot of folks have tender plants that they want to protect, and uh, we love the insulate fabric, but do you have do you have favorites and uh, what you recommend to people for easy-to-find row covers? No, because I don't. Uh, the retail stores all carry different ones around uh-huh. here, and, and I just tell people to get one that's nice and light. Mm-hmm. The, the mistake people make is getting uh, row covers that are too heavy, and especially the green ones. There are, we may have talked about this on the air before, but there are some homeowner associations that that uh, won't let people put white row cover on crops here. Really. It's the darnest thing I've ever heard of. I didn't even know about it until till this year. Yeah, they'll they'll uh, make you take it off and fine you. And what they tell you to do specifically is get that heavy green stuff. You know, that's not even translucent and you know not good for plants at all. They think that looks better for some reason. I guess is the deal. That's no, I had not was not aware of that. We we like the we like the white because you can leave it on all winter. It's not sure. uh, you know transmits enough light. But uh, there's their own little Gestapo. So many of these HOAs are, and that's that's a shame. I I'm I'm sorry to hear that, but I I run into ridiculous things about how they. People with they they say the only grass you can have is Bermuda, and then they say you have to have X percentage of your yard in grass, and then you got these homes with wonderful shady yards like yours where Bermuda just won't grow. It just it's not well thought out on their part. I guess it'd be the kindest way to put it, but <laughs> that's well, it's funny. There's good good and bad things going on there. There's a couple of uh, place new developments in Dallas. One of them I saw not too long ago now um, in the uh, McKinney area the, where the Homeowners Association apparently has put into their uh, covenants to use paint blue paint hmm. on the porches and, and under the eaves because uh-huh. I drove through and almost every house had it so I don't know how else it could have happened than, than that way so sometimes they're recommending some cool things but the dark green stuff or blankets or tarps or anything like that over your plants is really really not a good way to go because if you leave them on there too long you're going to do some damage well and with the weight if you've got a wind at all and starts whipping them around i i you know probably a little harsh but i I know they have their place, and I know they do some good things, and um, I would love it if we could get more of them requiring people to only use organic fertilizers. We actually have that uh, uh, up near Bernie, a new very controversial subdivision going in, but it's uh, near some estuaries, some waterway areas uh, around what could potentially be water supply. And it looks like we're actually getting some sense into what they're going to restrict people using on their yards. And uh, that I'm happy to see because, uh, you know, if we can if we can get these folks to realize that they just don't need to use the toxic products and don't need to use the synthetic fertilizers, it'll be a great start. Well, it just works better. That's the thing we just keep hammering away on is, you know, you're not going a second-class route to go <laughs> organic. You're actually, you know, doing a better job 
of yeah. everything. So for most people listening to us are already do, doing that, but uh, spreading the word to other people is very important. The landscape industry, as we talk about often, is not into it uh, very much at all, a very small percentage. And that it probably all starts at the university level. The university oh, yeah. don't teach it, and that's why we set up the online uh, organic uh, course that we did, which we've uh, had pretty good success with. We've had a lot of people sign up for it and take it and complete it. Some of the people in the business are actually using the fact that they're certified by Torque uh, through our course, you know, in their marketing of their their business, and that's perfectly uh, acceptable to do. That's uh, and that is a great thing, and that's again talking about Christmas gifts. Boy, if you've got somebody in the family or a friend that uh, you know ask you a lot about it, what a what a wonderful Christmas present that would be to give. Well, it's uh, it's been fun. We're uh, we're still. Uh, thinking about doing additional ones and we probably will do some shorter ones that are on more specific topics but that's on down the uh, <laughs> on down the road a little bit there's just so much capability in the world of electronics and uh and you know video and things like that out there it's just finding time to both learn them and do them the, the world is just full of all kinds of opportunities but we haven't found a way to make the days longer yet and that's my biggest frustration is i just just not enough hours to do everything i wish we could do well my latest column that i wrote for the dallas morning news is a little bit off uh, the, the, the norm i talked about uh, living Christmas trees, and I started out by saying if you haven't bought your living Christmas tree yet, that's probably good because you need to do it as close to Christmas as possible. So yeah. in the house, as short a period of time as possible, we'll be real careful about the water. And people here are buying a lot of things that won't grow, you know, sure. like Virginia pines and things like that. And I talked about the fact that it's been my experience through the years that the very best living Christmas tree you can buy is the Italian stone pine because it'll yeah. grow in, in any soil in Texas, and it doesn't and, turn into a monster. Yeah, it's it's a pretty, it's a really pretty. Well, they get pretty big. They get bigger than than you'd think. There's one over near Love Field in Dallas that is a really really big tree, but it takes takes a long time for it to uh, to get there. It's the it's the most interesting tree, and I don't. You may know the answer to this. It's it's a pine tree that when young and when it's in the nurseries when you buy it has short kind of mm -hmm. gray green foliage right when it starts to grow the foliage completely changes it gets three times longer and it changes color and i don't know whether that is because uh you know so many of them are, are so uh, i don't even know what the word is they're they're pruned so heavily to turn them into a tree shape but yeah we've ex observed exactly that most years we don't have any of them left over but the years we do it seems like just as soon as uh, they start growing out even when they're very small trees they start making that mature i don't know whether we call it a leaf or a needle or whatever that's five or six inches long instead of one inch and that's led me to think that was more a matter of care than of age but i don't know that for a fact well, the growers may be using some kind of growth retardant on it that yeah. could have that dramatic uh, an effect. I yeah. don't know. I don't know if that. I need to talk to some of the growers that actually grow the stuff to see because it's either just a natural genetic thing that the Italian stone pine has, or they're they're causing it to happen for some 
some reason. The other uh, tree that we recommend is the uh, rosemary because you mm-hmm. know that it, they're so pretty, and then they can go into the herb garden later on and be useful uh, as well. But it's just if you do living Christmas trees, you got to be careful about how long you leave them inside. And then the final thing I put in the column is one thing Judy and I did one year that was really out of the ordinary. We we cut down a deciduous yopon uh-huh. from a fence line out in the country and used it inside, and the berries held on the uh, tree very well, and it really was uh, was festive. So people that have their own deciduous yopon hollies or possum hollies, you can cut those limbs and you know from your tree and bring them in use them for uh, christmas decorations they last they last quite well a lot better than i was uh, thinking they would and we've done that for more for like centerpieces or in vases but i'd never thought about yep. using the whole thing but that's a that's a great idea and for people that want a non-traditional living tree and we do we do just what you were talking about we tell them don't bring it into the day before christmas and put it back outside the day after but i love things like the weeping yopon when it's covered with berries it just has yeah, one of the most good. unusual beautiful shapes to it everyone is individual and uh i just i think there are a lot of different kind of non-traditional trees that would you know, be real good to have inside briefly and then go out into the landscape. The The big problem we see with so many of those is that they beat the berries off of them so badly in shipping. But uh, they're, uh, I like the idea of the the possum haw because I love possum haws to begin with, and they're just such a beautiful thing. And they, they grow so well through the hill country just like they do in East Texas. I don't think that plant's used uh, as much as it should be. I think it's really, uh, a, really a good one to use. And once again, it comes down to availability. Yep, that's exactly right. Have have a friend down here that is real serious about starting a, in fact, he's bought 30 acres to do it, starting a tree farm strictly to grow some of the unusual and different things that you and I talk about that we simply don't have a good source on. And so uh, as he gets up and running, he's... He's a he's a very very good custom home builder that just loves trees and decide he wants to pursue this passion and uh, uh, we'll have to get together personally with him and uh, and and give him a list of your list and our list of things that we really want to see so that's just always so encouraging <laughs> it it we'll see how the follow through works out but it's it's sure a good opportunity uh, that's a great idea and I think a great niche and I think he can have fun and make some money off of it so let's yeah let's keep Keep me posted on that. Definitely. Well, everybody, uh, get out and get your Christmas shopping done. you got plenty of time right now if you don't put it off too long like I usually do. So, uh. <laughs> and everybody remember, if you're up in the Dallas uh, Metroplex area, uh, sort of a, a private showing this much more, but uh, for at info at dirtdoctor.com, we'll get you an invitation Thursday night to come see some of your art, Howard. So, as always, thanks for taking some of your Saturday with us. And, uh I know Bo and Logan are, are headed back home and all, but when you talk to them, tell them how much we enjoyed visiting with them briefly at the nursery the other day. Well, it was great seeing all you guys, too, and your wonderful shades of green, and we will talk next week. Look forward to it, Howard. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Howard Garrett is the Dirt Doctor, and uh, DirtDoctor.com, his website, the absolute best on the internet when it comes to plant information that is very applicable not just up in the metroplex but throughout south texas as well and like he was just saying when it comes to talking about uh you know organic practices 
Uh, it's pretty much the same everywhere. So anyway, I think you'll find that make that your first stop on the Internet when you're going for information is uh, DirtDoctor.com. And uh, Dottie's up first. Good morning, Dottie. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I have a, <clears throat> a washing machine that I need to haul off. And in the past, I had red wa- uh, hornets in it. Uh-huh. And nailed me when I was doing something near it. <laughs> I wanted to know if you think they could be gone, or do I need to open the thing at night and uh, spray them? Well, th- yeah, they um, they are still around. If they and you know the red ones always want to get out of sight. The yellow jackets and the other paper wasps uh, build out in the open, and those mm, I don't want use the word that I use on those red ones. They're the only ones I kill all the time uh, when I see them. But um, I can tell you that they will be very inactive uh, during cold periods, but I'm still seeing a few of them around on warm afternoons. So uh, I I would either, probably early morning, you know, when it's 35, 40 degrees, 45, they're not going to be active. And uh, if it were me, I'd probably be on the safe side. Yeah. Okay. You you don't think I have to open it up then and spray them? Ah, uh, it depends on whether you're going to be now. Is is this an old washer you're going to move somewhere and get rid of? Yes, I'm taking it to the freight um, salvage company. If you do it early in the day when it's chilly, I wouldn't worry about it. If it's going to be a warm afternoon, yeah, I probably would open it up and spray it. Okay. Okay. Well, that's good, and uh, <clears throat> I bought some things from you, and they're just beautiful the other day. <laughs> oh, we appreciate that, and uh, there are some beautiful things out there this season, and uh, um, always always a pleasure to help you, Dottie. And, and you and everybody else, we are serving our homemade cookies and mold cider every day between now and Christmas, and you don't have to buy anything. Just stick your head in and say hello and have a cup of cider with us on some of these chilly days. Anybody that comes to our house to buy something. <laughs> well, that's our secret. <laughs> Good day. You do too, Dottie. Good luck on your project. And uh, let's keep going here. And Jack is up next. Good morning, Jack. Hey, good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. Uh, I've got a female single palm. Okay. Uh, had it about 14, 15 years. And then uh, over the summer, it decided it wanted to uh, grow seeds. Uh-huh. And my wife and I had no idea what, what was happening, so I started reading up on it. And uh, anyways, I, uh, I went ahead and harvested the seeds. Okay. I pulled the seeds out, and I hear you can keep the seeds for six months. Is that true? You can, but if you're wanting to use these to start some new palms? Yes, sir. Okay. I will tell you that sago seeds are can be notoriously slow to sprout and grow and the sooner you get them planted the more quickly uh they will begin to sprout and grow when they when they can be stored mother nature designs that seed so that it can stay in the environment for a long time without going bad but um it's always going to be quickest to germinate as a fresh seed and of course soaking a little garret juice or things will help so uh store them if you like 
But if you want best results, don't put it off too long. I'll tell you what a lot of people do because of the slowness of germination. They will take a tray, basically just a mix of half sand and half compost, and put those seeds in that tray. Just line them up in rows uh, where they're about half buried. And then as they start to sprout and grow, you'll see that seed sort of split. At that point, they pull them out and pot them up. And I'm talking professional growers uh, because, you know, if you had 100 seeds, you could put 100 pots out there. And, you know, it might be a year and a half before the last of them got around to sprouting. And yet you're still trying to maintain 100 pots. So I realize that's a little bit more question than you ask. But uh, the sooner you plant them, the more quick the quicker they will be sprouting for you. Oh, that's great news. Um yeah, well, one more question for you. Let uh, me let me tell you one more thing about sago seeds first. They are highly toxic to dogs. So be sure right. if you have uh, family pets that you keep them away from them. And yeah, now, uh, uh, all the sites I was on, they, they always caveat it with, with that. Very good. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've actually got them in an old uh, container locked up high on the shelf to make sure the pets don't get to it. Excellent. Uh, second, second question, sir. Uh, well, thank you for answering the first one. Uh, second one is, I've got a lime tree that, that too has been in the backyard for years and years, and just within the last couple of years, it really started producing some uh, some limes. Uh-huh. I'm kind of confused. Um, uh, somebody told me that you actually let them go through the winter until they uh, uh, turn color. Is that true? No, sir. It's it's not a lime. The longer the lime stays on the tree, the sweeter it becomes just because photosynthesis makes sugar and sugar makes sweetness in limes. Now, recognize that there are two kinds of limes. There's your big lime that's called the Persian lime, which blooms in the spring and then produces uh, good fruit the next fall and winter season. And those, you know, again, the longer you leave them on the tree, the sweeter they will be. The more commonly grown lime is the little lime that is called uh, alternately either a key lime or a Mexican lime. Those trees can bloom any time of year, and you can have uh, limes ripening throughout the year. And once they have turned yellow, you'll know that they're fully ripe, and they're not going to get any riper than they are at that point. But uh, you can harvest them and use them at almost any point, and they will they will be good and limey. But the longer they stay on the tree, uh, the sweeter they will become. Great news. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure always. Thank you for the call, Jack. I appreciate it. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, let's, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and talk to Mark. Good morning, Mark. Morning, Bob. Morning, sir. I have uh, three very quick questions. Okay. Uh, live down in between San Antonio and Corpus. I uh, have naturally uh, anaqua trees on uh-huh. the property. Probably my favorite tree. Uh, is there a chance that somebody sells them out, you know, as far as a tree supplier and looking to move to Burnham area, will those Anakwas do well in that Burnham area? Um, Anakwa is, there are a few companies that grow them, mainly native tree companies. It's one of them we wish that more people grew. Um, You are somewhat limited as to their cold tolerance. So, um, they do grow here in San Antonio, but if you go very much further north, uh, they will have problems in a really cold winter. Now, did you say the Vernon area? No, Burnham, 
Oh, oh Brenham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brenham, Brenham, they should do fine in Brenham. I thought you said Vernon, which is up toward the Panhandle, where they would not do well. But uh, Brenham, I, I would imagine they would do just fine. Um, they would not want to go into that heavy black clay like you have some areas around Brenham. So uh, they would either need to be planted in a raised bed, or if it's an area that has a little bit more loamy soil, they will do much better because an aqua likes a soil that really drains quickly and well. So I'm sorry, one, one more silly question, but I, this, this property has very established palms on it. I'm uh-huh. not certain what type of palm. palm. They're probably 40, 50 feet tall. Um, anybody out there that would take those things, you know, they're like a tree company that might come out and get them. Uh, can you transplant them? I have no interest, and I don't want to cut them down. I don't like to cut any tree down. It, uh, yes, there are companies that can transplant, and the nice thing about palms is that you can move a very bo- large palm with a very small root ball. The question is, would be what kind of palms they are. If they're windmill palms, they're very cold hardy. If they're Washingtonia palms, then they're two different forms, one of which is cold hardy and one of which is not cold hardy. But uh, they are probably the easiest tree to transplant where you have big palms. So, yeah, I would just call one of your major landscape companies down there. And uh, the time to dig them is not this time of year. Palms are dug and transplanted in the hot summer months. But, yeah, there may very well be someone who would be interested in them. Okay, yeah, because I don't want to keep them in this, on this property and burn them. I want to give them to somebody or donate them, but I like I, said, I hate to cut them down because they're very pretty established palm Well, trees. they are so beautiful. Landscape. Yeah, they, they are beautiful trees, but um, uh, th- this is not going to be the time of year, so that's something you would probably want to make arrangements, but uh, any palm digger that knows what they're doing will not actually move them until uh, the July-August period because that's the time that they transplant most easily. Fantastic. Thank you, sir. I love your show. Appreciate it, Mark. Thank you, sir. Well, let's get back and finish up calls today with Raul. Good morning, Raul. Hey, good morning, Bob. Uh, I'm uh, out of uh, Plano, Texas. Very good, sir. And, and uh, hey, I was really pleased to hear that song snuck in a fishing verse in there. <laughs> <laughs> Don and I both, we, <laughs> yeah, we, we both are wannabe fishermen that love to fish when we get the opportunity, and life just gets in the way. Uh, you know, I, I like reversing the old saying that our parents used to say about uh, drink is a curse of the working class. We think work is work is a curse of the drinking class. So uh, uh, it's kind of like fishing, too. You know, uh, work is a curse of the fish class so we can at least think about it a lot and do it when we can you know i'm the same way and uh i have fishing stories but only when i get a chance to go to like to wyoming or <laughs> you know alaska just once a year kind of thing you know? <laughs> yeah it's uh it's i uh, used to fish with my grandfather and a little bait shop we visited in east texas had a big sign up that said the gods do not deduct from the allotted span of men's lives so as hours spent fishing so uh, i think yeah. we both would like to live a real long time <laughs> well, how can I help you today? We're getting a little short on time here. Oh, sure, I'll make it quick. So, um, my you know my Bermuda uh, common Bermuda grass is, mm-hmm. is dormant right now, right? Yes, sir. Uh, my backyard is uh, you know uh, two thousand square feet, and it's about I mow it at two and a half okay. inches. So that's what that's what it that should be at right now. Mm-hmm. Um, my five year old all of a sudden took an interest in soccer. So I was thinking of mowing it down to one and a half or one, unless you don't think that's, uh, you know, advisable while it's dormant. Well, that's a real good question to ask, and mowing it low 
is no problem whatsoever. Unlike St. Augustine grass, uh, which has runners on the surface of the ground, Bermuda grass has underground runners. So you can mow it down as low as you like. Bermuda grass is very cold hardy, so we're not worried about uh, as much about having that layer of insulation up on the surface of the soil. So um, <laughs> all I can say is that, uh, you know, it, it does give a little more cushioning when you go down, shall we say, and plenty of soccer players, just like other sports, wind up down on the ground. But you're not going to harm your Bermuda grass at all by mowing it shorter at this time of the year. I wouldn't go probably below, say, a one-inch mowing height. But down to that point, you're just just like cutting your hair. You're just cutting off dead tissue. So uh, go for it. It's not going to bother your yard at all. Okay, and I don't have to do it in stages? No, not at all. No. Okay. And um, is it too late to overseed to get some, uh, you know? Not at all. This you know, uh, grass out there. Okay. No, this this would be a good time. Now, uh, you want to overseed with uh, one of your dwarf forms of ryegrass, and it does not stand up to foot traffic as well as the Bermuda does. So let it get at least a little bit established before the busy feet get out there on it. But no, the, today would be a great time to put it out. You'll need to keep it moist for the first oh, six to eight days. And by that time, it'll be up and green and growing. So just let it get up to where it'll be just a little bit tougher before it gets uh, walked on too much. Okay, and I forgot to fertilize it, you know, before it went dormant. Is mm-hmm. it still okay to throw Abs- my Absolutely, ability? absolutely. Those roots are still active, and uh, uh, nothing at all wrong with fertilizing today. And you mentioned one time uh, um, some seeds called by called Playmate. I don't know if it was Easy or Gold. Um, do you guys still carry that? I haven't been able to find that around. No, here. it's uh, it is not available this year. It was uh, it was one of our favorites, but uh, the one that we're doing this year is a uh, playmate was a blend uh and we're we're have been able to find a blend called pantera which like playmate was a blend of three grasses in this case it's a blend of three annual rye grasses the playmate was perennial but of course all all rye grasses are annual here but we're liking this pantera even better than we'd like the uh, uh even better than we like the playmate so i think that'll be a good choice for you Okay, Pantera, you said, is that right? Yeah, Pantera is sometimes sold as SOS. SOS. Oh. Something about overseeding. And I'll hold you there, Raul. It's always a pleasure visiting.